Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. We gather here today to pay our respects to John Tucker, who unfortunately had to die. Rest in peace, John Tucker. (laughs) You know, it took us long enough. You guys have been asking for this film. Here we are. You ready to go, Lizzie? I have watched this film a hundred times. It's only fair I should talk about it for a little while now. (laughs) I've got so much to say about this film. So excited to be covering it. Before we jump into it, I just want to say a big thank you to our patrons, people supporting us over on patreon.com slash subtextualpod. We have plenty of goodies for you guys. We really appreciate all your input and feedback. If you're not in a place where you want to monetarily contribute to this podcast, completely understand. You could show us some love over on social media, but ultimately we are just glad that you're here with us for this seminal piece. It's a cornerstone of cinema, (laughs) if you will. Yeah, I mean, Lizzie, John Tucker Must Die, you said you've seen it a ton. Oh, I watched this a lot in high school. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's on the shelf next to Mean Girls. It's a film about women being bitchy and men being crazy. And, you know, it doesn't hit as hard as Mean Girls, but I probably watched this more than Mean Girls in high school for some reason. I just remember it being on all the time as well. Like, not on cable but on like hbo or like stars or showtime or something i was able to catch this quite a bit i've seen it a ton i've probably seen mean girls more but they have the same energy like let's tear somebody down they're cousins you know yeah cinematic universe i can imagine these happening absolutely which i never thought about like where is this high school like in america (laughs) it okay I did not look this up, but it has to be shot in Canada because I recognize (laughs) someone from Battlestar Galactica in it. If there is someone from Battlestar Galactica (laughs) in your movie or television show, the whole thing is shot in Canada. Okay, wait, hold on. Also, this is in the same cinematic universe as She's the Man. Because did you recognize? Yes. Yes. Okay, one of the – she has literally like two words in the whole film, but she's one of the friends in Paul's friend group. Aw, come on, Paul. Oh, yeah, come on, Paul. From She's the Man, she's one of the two friends, uh, Sebastian or Viola's yes. friends. Yeah, uh, and you're right, Lizzie. She says all of, I think, four words in this film. <laughs> You've got a good eye. Dude, she popped right out because she's one of my favorite characters and she's the man. And so a quick synopsis of this film in case you haven't seen it, which is weird. Um, but three ex-girlfriends of a serial cheater set up their former lover to fall for the new girl in town so they can watch him get his heart broken. Easy peasy. That's all I need. This is a secret agent spy film a la Mission Impossible. Yes. A la Atomic Blonde. Jason Bourne. (laughs) James Bond. Exactly. This is that level of deceit and deception. Is deceit and deception, those are the same words. Deception. Disgrace. To deceive someone is deception, right? Those are the same words. If I was a thesaurus, I would put those two together. I'm not going back to that. It's like conjugates of the same verb or something. Yeah. Exactly. Like, they have the same parents, but they're siblings. Mm. I once asked Sam, would you rather be a walking dictionary or a walking thesaurus? And guess what she said? Obviously dictionary. That is way more useful. I say obviously thesaurus. It's a more creative usage. And I said she would sound like every fan fiction I've ever read. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, I need to send you this TikTok, but it's like this woman... 
uh, who writes fan fiction, which, as you know, can get pretty repetitive with your verb usage, like, uh, he growled, uh, <laughs> she snarled, that kind of shit. Yeah. It's like when you find a new verb, you're mine, motherfucker! <laughs> That's, I don't know, some, that'll hit someone. No, that hits me so hard. It's like, she whispered, he replied. Like, after <laughs> yes. so much of that, it's like, this should just be a screenplay. Like, I don't need to... Just say them saying it. It's yeah. fine with me. But let's get into why we're talking about this film today. Lizzie, why do you think we're talking about this film? Girls kissing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. More specifically, Sophia Bush's character as Beth. Big gay vibes. Big bi vibes. Yeah. Big pan vibes. Definitely. That woman has had sex with another woman. Definitely. I could probably put money on that at this point. Mm-hmm. As well as this like undertone of hating men. Which is not what gay women are about, but always delighted me as a kid because I hated I hated most men as, you know, a closeted lesbian. So this movie just tickled me. I was like, yeah, fuck John Tucker. Yeah, no, fuck John Tucker. Great casting because, like, yeah, sure, he's charming. Yeah, sure, he's handsome. But you never fall 100% for him. Like, there is always that, like, distance of, like, yeah, fuck this guy, you mm-hmm. know? And also... I would like to call this film, like, the three-headed lesbian dragon Yes, movie. yes. It's like the three hags in Hercules. Mm-hmm. Like, past, present, future, they're all one entity with, like, three separate personalities, but they all play together. And this film does that trope really well in a really fun, classic way. It's so interesting that you said that because the director of this film, Betty Thomas, has described this film as first wives club for teenagers. Okay, I fuck with First Wives Club. I think we could probably argue that on the podcast. Because one of the wives goes into that gay bar and yes. sees her daughter. <gasps> and her daughter's gay. That's right. And her right. daughter's a lesbian. That's enough for me because I love that <laughs> film. Diane Keaton's in it, so it's enough. Diane Keaton, fantastic. Oh, great Sophia, description. Sophia Bush's character, Beth, she said, was specifically like Goldie Hawn's character yes. in First Wives Club. So it's exactly what you're saying. These are women that make up a larger entity and individually their facets are very interesting to um, look through and understand. Yeah. They're all fun characters and they're even more fun all together in a single room. Yes. Yes, exactly. So more about the director, Betty Thomas. Uh, she directed the Brady Bunch movie in 1992. Oh we all God. know how much I love that movie. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Oh, sure, Jam. Uh, and then <laughs> Dr. Doolittle in 1998. I, she seems like to be more rooted in comedy and lighthearted films. I appreciate that. She produced Can't Hardly Wait in 1998 as well as Charlie's Angels, the first in 2000. Oh, damn. She's a fucking – she's an icon. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and she started off as an actress. She was, like, renowned as an act- a television actress. She's definitely well-versed in – Acting, which I feel like helps a director in a lot of different ways because you know how actors receive direction and that helps you give direction. Um, But something funny is that she has said multiple times that she could not remember the names of the actors and the actresses and just refer to them as their characters. Is that, I wonder if that's like a problem on set. Like, would you be offended by that as an actor? There are a lot of characters in this film. I mean, yeah, it's not 2030, but all characters pretty much have the same amount of lines. Yeah. I would be like, oh, is it the vegan one or the cheerleader? (laughs) Is it Ashanti or is it someone else? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, the cast for this film is really spot on. And Brittany Snow as the, like, doe-eyed virgin girl, 
perfection. I was so into her yeah, in 2006. You were. She's fantastic. And also, what bolsters this film even higher on the subtextual list is what happens with her in Pitch Perfect. Mm-hmm. Everything she's in just reads gay to me. So that helps. That's a little bit of of sugar on top of this. Holy shit, put Pitch Perfect on the subtextual future episode list right now. It's going on the list. Okay, something super 2006 about this production was that it was heavily promoted to female teenagers specifically on MySpace. And the studio (laughs) believed that this campaign was successful because on opening weekend, 75% of the audience was women and 68% of them were under the age of 25. So they did the opposite of Jennifer's body and yes. actually chose the target audience to see this film? No way. I know. They're like, bring your top age to see John Tucker Must Die this weekend. Okay. That piece of trivia delights me. It felt so 2006 that it inspired me to play a little game with you, Lizzie. <gasps> I love games. We're doing 2006 trivia. I'm like doing the Stefan hands right now. I'm like, 2006? Let's go back. So it helps that this film couldn't feel more 2006. Like every fucking screen grab of it, it's like they're wearing Hollister. Mm -hmm. It's so specific. So try to bring your mind and your body back. Okay, I'm there. To the year. How old were you in 2006? I was turning 15 that year. I was finding myself. I was owning things from Limited 2 and Claire's. Mm -hmm. I was... Looking at boys but not touching them. I was looking at girls and going, "Ah." (laughs) and yeah. Okay, so remember that. Remember the flip flops. Remember the Aeropostale. Holy shit! Remember the Britney Spears perfume. And are you ready for our first question? Yes. Okay. First trivia question: Breakups is the category because this film is all about breaking up with toxic men. Let's test your knowledge on famous breakups. Okay. In two thousand and six. Britney Spears files for divorce from her husband and backup dancer after years of scandal. What is his name? K-Fed. Yes! Can you do me one better? Can you say his full name? Kevin Federline. That's correct. Yes! Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) One point for me. Lizzie, okay, that was an easy one. They're not all going to be that easy. So I hope you guys are playing along with us, and uh, let's get into the movie. This story is about Sean Tucker. He is the man, captain of the basketball team. He lost it to the homecoming queen and the prom queen at the same time. He's got two girlfriends. Whoa, scratch that. Three girlfriends? Have you ever dated John Tucker? Hey, he's mine. Stay away from him. We have something in common. We all want to kill John Tucker. What are you girls up to? Destroying a man. All right. Play nice girls. Your mom is so hot. If we combine all of us, we can make him. Fun. All right, we meet our main character, Kate, who's played by Brittany Snow. She describes herself as invisible and doesn't get much attention from boys. Are you a narc? <laughs> <laughs> There's so much of this dialogue. I could have just written the script out verbatim because every line is gold. The script is. Is really gold. You know, I always wondered why this film didn't hit as hard as Mean Girls in terms of popularity. What was the like year difference? Like, when did Mean Girls come out? So, Mean Girls came out first in 2004. Oh. Yeah. So, I think the lasting power is different with Mean Girls because, you know, Tina Fey, every single line is a joke that maybe you don't get at first, but the second watch, you're like, oh, that's like triple hilarious. Mm -hmm. Um, This one, it's pretty 
foolproof, but it, I don't think it has the lasting power that Mean Girls does. Yeah, for whatever reason, Mean Girls started like a fucking cultural phenomena. And I guess this is riding that wave, so maybe it didn't hit as hard. But yeah, I mean, I respect both movies equally. And also the visual power of Mean Girls is really strong, where this film is a little more by the book, I guess. Yeah, it's clear this one was shot in Canada. Mean Girls <laughs> is like iconography every it's like a frame. Barbie world. Yes. So this one, you know, it tried. I think it probably with the budget that it had definitely did the best that it could. Um, so we also learn a bit about Kate that her mom is single. She's very hot. And her mom has terrible dating habits, which causes them to move around a lot. But before we learn too much about Kate, she says, a story is about him, John Tucker, who's played by Jesse Metcalf. Let's face it. He is the man. He looks somewhere between an Abercrombie model and a Greek god. Lizzie, is that true? Um, I, I wonder if they intentionally cast a young man who would be, like, easily overshadowed by all the female characters because... I wasn't obsessed with John Tucker, and I never fully felt, as a viewer, I never fully felt under John Tucker's spell like I did with, like, other teen films. Like, Michael from Princess Diaries is a good example. Heath Ledger, 10 Things I Hate About You. Exactly. Like, I wonder if they intentionally, I mean, he's good looking, but even as a child, as a 15-year-old, I wasn't, like, obsessed with this man. Yeah, he is very generic looking. I've been getting mixed reviews, like, on Letterboxd and online, like, some people who are attracted to men are like, he is so hot. He is an Abercrombie model and a Greek god. And then some women are like, he did nothing for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the point, as you're saying. But as a lesbian, I understand when men are good looking, but this did not blip my radar even for a second. Yeah, no, like I, if I like was a human being in the world of John Tucker Must Die, I'd be like, him? Like, okay. I'd be more into his brother. Yeah. Pen Badgley. <laughs> yes. Oh, Pen Badgley. You did it for me as a kid, for sure. Yeah, he's definitely super cute in this movie. So John Tucker is a cheater. We've seen the film. He's an asshole. He's playing multiple women at once. We meet all of the women he's dating from Kate's perspective as a server at a restaurant. We see Carrie, who's played by Ariel Cabell, who is uh, all around overachiever, runs the like TV station or something. We see Heather, who's played by Ashanti, who is the head cheerleader. And then we see Beth, who's played by Sophia Bush, who is the vegan teen activist. And oh my God. I'm pretty sure that's shorthand for easy. (laughs) The moment we are introduced to her, the slut shaming begins and it never stops. Oh no, absolutely. This poor girl. And the fact that she's bisexual only hammers that home. They're like, she wants to have sex with everyone, girls and boys, which is like such a classic 2000s trope for bisexual characters. Yeah. And me and Lizzie are referring to her as bisexual because we understand gay people. We can see them and we're like, you're gay, you know, but the film never says she's bisexual, although she does kiss Kate. You know, it could be seen in the cruel intentions world of, oh, it's instruction. It does. I've never instructed anyone how to kiss people like that. That does not happen. So I believe that she is at the very least bi. I think that's the consensus among other queers. Yeah, no, definitely. No, and she's certainly more comfortable with her sexuality and more open to talking about sexuality in general than the other characters. And though they, like, poke fun at her for it, to me, it makes her the most interesting of the three-headed gay dragon that is this trio. It's the voice. It's the way that she carries herself. She just seems like very secure in who she is as an individual, which is the only reason that the slut shaming doesn't feel cringy now in, you know, 2023, because 
she's so self-assured that it's like you can make jokes about her and it, it like rolls off her back. Like if it seemed like it actually offended her and she was insecure about it, then it would feel mean spirited. Right. Yeah, it doesn't like it doesn't strike down her confidence at all. Like she she even like rolls with it and accepts it and laughs with it. So mm-hmm. it's like it's like yeah, you're like throwing punches at me and they're just they're in the dust. I'm not even worried about it. Like if you called me a slut, I'd be like, "Haha." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, bitch, you know, but like if some random disgusting person on the street is like, you slut, you know, there's different connotations. And this didn't feel like so nasty to yeah. me. And she had a lot of power and like had her own voice in this whole conflict and said a lot of the smartest things in the end. They kind of made fun of her for being stupid mm-hmm. because she on paper maybe wasn't as smart as the blonde girl who makes all A's. But she's definitely the most experienced was offering like a lot of ideas and like could get to the get to the bottom of things a little quicker. Emotional intelligence. Yeah, street smarts. Exactly. So we meet all three of those lovely ladies and another server that Kate works with says, John Tucker goes out with girls from different cliques so they never talk to each other and says his dad doesn't let him go out with girls during basketball season. And Kate says, how do you know all this stuff? My girl starts crying. She says, just a guess. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The comedic timing, it's good to know about the director's, like, kind of comedic work being so successful because it definitely makes sense that she's pushing the jokes forward in this film more so Mm -hmm. um, than the romance or the conflict, you know. Yeah, this never, ever felt like a romance to me, and that's why I think it stood the Mm -hmm. test of time. A little bit easier. Yeah. Just like Mean Girls. If Mean Just Girls like was mean marketed girls. as a romance, I would it would be fucking annoying to see so much of the time spent on that when everything they say is comedic gold. Absolutely. Uh, so we move on to the events of Black Tuesday, which is a day in which John winks at one of the female coaches and she has like a heart attack. <laughs> so sad and it forces all the girls gym classes together and of course all these women are paired together on a volleyball squad where heather ashanti's character hears carrie say to another girl i'm dating john tucker and this is basically where the fight starts it's just like a brawl heather hitting carrie carrie hitting sophia beth accidentally hitting kate like everybody's wrapped up in this including the coach uh so they all get detention There's about to be a what? Girl fight! Fucking Brooke Valentine up in this bitch. I love a fight, dude. Especially high school fights in cinema. Honestly, you know, I'm a whore for blocking. And like, as simple as the scene was, a bunch of girls throwing fucking volleyballs at each other. We never cross the 180. We're very clear about who's who and who's hitting who and what's what. And it has a great funny end, too, where Britney Snow's character blows into a whistle. You're, like, fucking hitting the shit out of each other. Y'all should be aiming it at him. Which I'm like, yes, preach. Good point. Mm-hmm. It's it's just such a good button for that scene. Yeah. And that statement alone kind of stuck with me as a gay kid because mm-hmm. so much of media is pinning women against each other over men. And as a lesbian growing up, I was like, why do y'all give a shit about this wet paper towel of a man? <laughs> You're literally a shanty. Yeah. Like, get a hold of yourself. That guy sucks. He pales in comparison to you. So I think maybe that's why I've always related to this film. Yeah, and I think, like, the whole arc of the rest of the film, redirecting this, like, female conflict into them working together for revenge is, like, you know, not necessarily the moral way to go, but it is more empowering and more entertaining and fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do play with the morals of that later of, like, 
you know, you're going to lose yourself by trying to hurt this person. Is that really helping you? Like, this film goes into that even more so than Mean Girls in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really interesting. You're a mean girl, Katie. You're a bitch. Ooh, thank you. Yeah, I uh, Mean Girls is on the list, you guys. Don't worry. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, so, in detention, Kate meets Scott, who's played by Penn Badgley. Lizzie's a fan, who is John's younger brother, the other Tucker. Yeah, the one that listens to, like, alt-rock and, like, has long hair. Cheap trick? Uh, yeah, I've heard of them. He puts mm. M&Ms on his pizza. Oh, very much Princess Diaries, M&M on pizza. Yeah. Yes, big that vibes. Is he a Coppola? <laughs> Penn Badgley? <laughs> Bitch, probably. If you didn't know, Michael from Princess Diaries is a Coppola. Yeah. Everyone's a fucking Coppola. Everyone. Every dreamy indie boy from any movie you've liked is a Coppola. Jason Schwartzman's a Coppola. Yes. (laughs) So all the girls realize that John Tucker has given them the same copy-paste. Oh, I'm not dating her. Obviously, I'm all about you. The other girls are just jealous. So good. So Kate breaks up the fight and Beth says, yeah, 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 you'd break up with him, blah, blah, blah. And Kate says, I didn't say break up. I'd get even. Ooh, and we have our inciting incident. I'm glad we're at the inciting incident because are you ready for your second trivia question? Incite me, bitch. Okay, this one is music. Okay. Category, music. Okay, given how great the soundtrack is, let's see how well you remember the music in the year 2006. In the year 2006, the Jonas Brothers released a single. The lyrics include, Not much has changed, but they live underwater. What was the name of that song? Year 3000. Bitch, I listened to that at the gym last week. Oh, my God. People are still adding it to playlists to this day. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't cue it. It was on a, it was on a playlist for sure, yeah. <laughs> it didn't come up randomly. You're like, oh, it's been a minute. You're like, search, add to cue, year 3000. <laughs> I was trying to get through leg day, okay? Don't judge me. All right, Lizzie, you're doing well. You're two for two. Yeah, I know. <laughs> If there's anything I'm prepared for, it's 2006. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Later at Kate's house, all the girls show up saying, we all want to kill John Tucker. If I could wish for anything, I wish this film went off the rails and actually showed four young teenage women slaughtering this film. (laughs) Not because I endorse murder, but like, could you imagine American Psycho style film, but it's just teenage girls killing a dude. We would have two Jennifer's bodies. You know what I mean? This would have been Jennifer's body. Yes. A thousand percent. So they all plan to take down John Tucker. Kate is very much in on this plan after seeing how men have like fucked up her mom. So she's like, fuck all skips is what she calls these type of dudes. Uh, So in the war room, which is basically that like (laughs) AV room that Carrie, the overachiever, has access to, she presents a slideshow about John Tucker saying, what is it about John Tucker? And Beth says, it's everything. So they have to make him undateable. And it'll hack the mainframe and bring (laughs) him down. It is very much that. I'm obsessed. Like any film with this like ancient tech and they use a lot of tech in this film they do i'm into it it's it just dates it in such a great way 
Yeah, I was like, wow, this shit's so advanced. <laughs> Dude, I was like learning T9 at this time. Like, <laughs> I was really thrown, I was really blown away by boob cam. Yeah, we were just about in the era where we are like editing our Tumblr page with HTML. So we were primed and ready. Dude, I was customizing my Zynga and the back end coding before I even know what the fuck that was. I don't know what Zynga is. It's like pre Tumblr, it's like a blog. Ah, uh, okay. Ouch. I just, like, got sick to my stomach. <laughs> the room is spinning. My <laughs> mouth is watering. You need a moment. <laughs> I need a drink. Uh, so they basically have a photo shoot where they portray John Tucker as a person who has herpes. And while it is mildly <laughs> embarrassing for one second, he wins, like, a teen responsibility award for representing herpes. You got to fucking hand it to him. Like, his confidence is unyielding. And I guess he's born with that being, like, a talented white man. But, mm -hmm. you know, we don't see this, like, sensitive side of him like Troy Bolton. So after this failure, the girls recoup at Kate's house where Beth remarks, your mom is so hot. I mean, she is. I mean, she is. She's literally, like, Stacy's mom level hot. Yeah. But there's one person who points that out, and that is Beth. And uh, yeah. we appreciate that about her. Because we were all thinking it. We all were thinking it. Thank you, Beth. You know, I'd like to reclaim the, like, over-sexualized bisexual trope and just say, like, isn't it more fun to be having sex with everyone than no one at all or just men? You are so right. Like, it is better to treat it as an activity that is enjoyable yeah. rather as this thing you get to dole out to people when they earn it because then deceit and it, it just ends up making women feel guilty. Like, I'm on Beth's side. She figured it out way earlier than most people do. Go, Beth. I yes. You. Um, at this point, they find Heather's mother's estrogen pills, and they decide to drug John Tucker. I don't know how this would work. I, I, I asked my partner at this point, and she was like, I think if you take estrogen, your boobs just hurt. I don't think you, like, start crying and have <laughs> yeah. a period. I totally forgot about this scene, actually. I mean, the idea of, like, feminizing this super mask bro is, you know, kind of cringy. But the way that this film handles it, like, later in the film, the coach is like, okay, look, John, like, I understand your feelings, you know, and I'm trying to meet you halfway. Like, that's a more interesting approach than just, like calling John Tucker a pussy and moving on. Yeah. You know, like, it it does make it a little more nuanced. However, I'm not sure, like, scientifically if that's how this works, but it's 2006. So, basically, the estrogen makes John super sensitive and emotional during a basketball game. He bursts out into tears <laughs> after eating chocolate and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually hilarious. John, John, John. <laughs> yeah, I do like this actor's performance in this scene. Like, he gives it all. He has to make himself look really silly for this movie, and he commits. Yeah, no, I think he does a really good job. And, of course, this backfires as well, and John gets credit from the women at the school for being a sensitive person. Uh, and then he uses, like, now that he's so sensitive and, like, zen and in tune with himself, he ends up using, like, therapy speak to break up with all the girls. Therapy speak. Oh, that's so funny. You're so right. Ah, uh, 
That is the like icing on the cake. So they have a breakup party at Kate's and they decide that they have to create the perfect person to break John's heart. Who's it going to be? Hmm. The beautiful fucking blonde that they barely had to make over and who also has abs? Their version of a makeover for Kate is hold pom-poms. It's not even take off glasses. Like, they did nothing. That missed opportunity for this film, I will say, like, for a classic superficial makeover scene. Mm-hmm. Whatever. How would they have made Britney so look bad? I guess they tried and they couldn't do it. They could signal to the audience that she's ugly, a la yeah. Princess Diaries and Mean Girls, where they're clearly beautiful. <laughs> yeah, right. You just have to, like, literally take their glasses off. Okay, so they do have her start cheerleading, and... Ashanti says at one point, the most important thing a cheerleader wears is her attitude. Lizzie, you were a cheerleader. Would you say that's the most important thing you could wear? I mean, I had the most attitude of any cheerleader, and it was not necessarily appreciated at my Christian high school, so (laughs) I think it's a regional thing. It's not necessarily appreciated here at the podcast either. (laughs) (laughs) No, your your attitude is very much appreciated. I'm glad that was instilled in you at some point. Uh, I installed it myself. (laughs) Got in there, rolled up my sleeves, (laughs) updated my attitude. Uh, so John is such an easy catch. He spots Kate right away and gives her some attention and they hold an emergency meeting because they're like, holy shit, Kate's never dated anyone. Never touched or looked at a boy. Which seems a little gay to me because she's stunning and blonde, like in the year 2006 wearing Hollister. I'm sorry, but you would have at least made out with someone by now. Dude, at this point in my life, I hadn't. I was where she was. I hadn't kissed anyone. You hadn't were, dated anyone. You went to a all like you went to a Christian school. Well, there were human boys there. Oh, I and human realize. girls as well. Bicon. <laughs> 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 anyway, I totally. I I could see it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I will suspend my disbelief for that. Thank you, Lizzie. Your perspective is incredibly helpful. Yeah. Just because you weren't a loser doesn't mean <laughs> losers don't exist. <laughs> I was most definitely a loser. I appreciate that, though. That's very nice. So in the bathroom, they instruct Kate to count to three before responding, which I think leads to the funniest scene for me personally, where John is, like, asking Kate questions, and she's counting to three so slowly that she actually doesn't end up saying anything. Works like a charm. Okay. Have you ever seen the show Garfunkel and Oates? Yes. Okay. Do you know the episode where... They get like, um, it's like meningitis or something. Laryngitis? L- laryngitis. <laughs> What's the one where you can't speak? Laryngitis. Okay. They get laryngitis, <laughs> both of them. And they go, they don't want to cancel their dates. So they have a double date with two men and they're like, it's going to be funny. They're going to like, the date's going to be horrible. And the men remark that they've had the best date of their lives. <laughs> the women that don't speak a word. <laughs> and that's so this scene. Like she doesn't <laughs> she doesn't get a word out and he is in love with her. Honestly, it's like the rule in a horror movie where you're not supposed to show the monster. Like the less you show the monster, the scarier it is. Mm-hmm. The less you say, the more men can project their fucking insane (laughs) Britney Spears fantasy at you. And you become the perfect girl. Mystery is a girl's greatest asset. Absolutely. Absolutely. Watch 500 Days of Summer if you don't believe me. Yeah, right. Does she say anything in that film? She's like, I love the Smiths. And then says nothing for two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Just like has bangs. Yeah, exactly. Have bangs, say nothing. Nothing. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love 2006. Oh, man. So he's so head over heels for her that he sends her a bunch of roses and, like, says his number on the intercom. And when he sees her again, he says, I didn't get a phone call. And she says, I didn't have a pen. Honestly, work. Honestly, My yeah. love language, whatever that was. I didn't have a pen. Dude, hit that's that's your kind of girl. You're like, <laughs> fucking hit me where it hurts. Be a little me. mean. I oh love my it. god. So John asks his brother Scott for some insights on Kate, and Scott tells John, so cringy. She loves old school Elvis Costello. She listens to obscure podcasts. She's <laughs> deep. TBH, if this bitch was listening to podcasts in 2006, she is cool. Yeah, no, definitively, that is cool but the fact that this is the most 2006 like she is not like other girls description of someone and i love the obscure podcast line like i hope someone rip like please describe me like this lizzie to the people you meet oh her <laughs> um she's got hair down to her ass and she has her own podcast she's hyper fixated on survivor she listens to old school Sesame Street. She's deep. <laughs> <laughs> That's so you. Yes. Okay. So whatever, he convinces Kate to go on a date with him. Third trivia question time. Let's go. All right. This one's film. If I don't have this one, what do I have? I'd be surprised if you don't have this one. Okay. So one of our favorites here on the podcast, The Pirates of the Caribbean, the franchise was alive and well in 2006. Which film from the franchise was released that year? Not the first one. That was 2003. Hmm. I was at a second one, Dead Man's Chest. Ding, 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 ding. Dude, I'm telling you, 2006 was my prime. I was doing nothing yeah. but absorbing Britney Spears and Gore Verbinski's work. You had all the time in the world. <laughs> I'm like catching you right before puberty. I'm like getting you right there. Dude, it's the pocket. Okay. So. Kate is getting ready to go on her date. They're putting a hidden camera in her bra. Boob cam. Boob cam. And Ashanti or Heather says, Beth, can you speak into the cleavage? And Beth seems like really excited to do it. Just want to let you guys know. <laughs> for no reason at all. <laughs> so they're prepping her for this date. And Kate says, I count to three. I play hard to get. And Carrie says, you were playing hard to get. Now he's got you. And she says, so I count, count to four? four? <laughs> I saw a TikTok recently that was like, if you're the kind of person who gets like drained by people's negative energy or like you work in service industry and you constantly have to deal with assholes, wait four seconds before you respond to someone because that's when your brain starts to interpret it as rejection. Mm. And I use that like a Ten Commandment. I'm like, just wait a little bit too long. Lizzie called me on the phone today to tell me some incredible news, but my cell signal dropped, and so the call dropped, and when I called her back, she was like, you didn't say anything for like 20 seconds, and I thought you hated it. <laughs> because the call dropped. You're so right. It worked on me. It worked on you, bitch. You're like breaking me down. Psychology. So. Uh, 3D chess. 3D chess. So they're preparing her for this date, and there's a scene where Beth says, I'll be John. Role play. This is my shit. You're right. They really like laid it on thick with the bisexual subtext for that character. E even I didn't catch that. Yeah. I'll be John. And Kate's like, can I be Kate? And then she's like, hey, baby, where do you want to go for dinner? You know? And they just like role and, like, play drapes this. her arm like across her shoulders. Uh, 
You're right. This was my shit. This was more than enough for me. Yeah. Oh, how old was I? Lizzie doesn't want me to reveal the age difference. Jesus Christ. Don't give me a complex about this film. Okay. Anyways, at the beach for their sunset date. So John is being very charismatic. It's kind of working on Kate a little bit. And the girls are monitoring from the boob cam in a bush far away. And John offers Kate a ride home. She says very quickly that she has to pee. She ends up in John's truck Mm -hmm. and we get this scene. Hey, okay, a ride home? What do I do? Just breathe. This is really good. It means he's into you. Do you think he's going to make a move? No, if anything, it's just going to be a kiss. He keeps it PG-13 on the first night. Okay, are you a good kisser? I I don't know. How does anybody know? Do guys tell you you're a good kisser? Oh my god, I'm a bad kisser. Okay, stop. All we need is one kiss, and then you leave him wanting more. It is not that hard, okay? Oh my god, I'm going to have to show you, aren't I? Okay. Grab onto that gorgeous head of hair and take control. Hold his gaze. Your lips might just touch, but not yet. It's just gotta be the temptation. And then you give him one light kiss. Holy John Llama. Kiss her again. Do it. Get out of here, you little perk! All right. Lizzie, please describe that scene. Oh my god, I've seen that scene literally a hundred times, but seeing it here with you in the studio, you pointed out, okay, so Brittany Snow is freaking out. She's like not sure if she's a good kisser, how to kiss this guy. She's intimidated by the fact that they're about to get intimate. And so Beth, our bisexual Beth, takes control and gives her a little lesson. However, I mean, the chemistry between them is apparent and the confidence of Beth's character is also something I find very attractive and Brittany Snow feels very comfortable in this situation because essentially Beth leans in, grabs her by the head, and they share this like really nice looking kiss. The music. And you're right. The one thing I never noticed is that there's this beautiful little piano score cue that comes up right before they lock lips. And it it is a beautiful little moment. You know, it's broken up by this, like, tongue-in-cheek joke where there's, like, a nerd nearby. And he's like, oh, my God, kiss her again, which, like, breaks it. And I wish they would have just let the characters themselves, like, kind of break the moment and deal with it. But I guess that would have become a different film altogether. Yeah, to see how they react to that would imply deeper feelings. If they were like, hee-hee, if they giggled out of it, then it's a joke. But if they pulled away, like... Cruel Intentions, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Selma Blair, after that kiss of that instructional kiss, and Sarah Michelle Gellar pulls away and like basically like checks her nails, and Selma Blair goes, Wow. Yeah, right. Yeah. It says something a little more. Mm-hmm. But we we don't get the processing of that moment because mm-hmm. it's interrupted by a bunch of dumb men. Mm-hmm. But hey, we do get the kiss. And again, the like sexual confidence of a bisexual character, which in this film's context is kind of spun as slutty and like whorish, I'm going to interpret as confidence and mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. If I could assassinate any cinematic character, it would be that guy that broke up the kiss. Yeah. Fuck you. And it all. You'll never work in this industry again. <laughs> I'll bury you. Uh, <laughs> 
But you're saying that like experiencing it now in present day, even watching it here as like a out person, it still sparks this like scandalous feeling in me. Like you, would you ever watch something while your parents are asleep with your hand on the remote? Oh ready my to God. hit the back button? Oh my God. Yes. hundred percent. It still makes me feel that way. Like every time I watch it, I'm like, I feel like I'm just like on the edge, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's. In the moment, it's not a joke. And in the moment, it is intimate. And then you're right. You pointed out the score cue while we were listening. And that score cue really does change the tone of it completely. Because it could have been silent. It could have been like some cheesy teen song on the radio. But it's not. It's a romantic piano number. Mm -hmm. So what does that tell you? It says make your own assertions on what would have happened if John Tucker hadn't interrupted at that moment. God, how I would have loved to see that end naturally, organically. Uh, everything. Veganly. Veganly. Hemp. With hemp. <laughs> With 100% hemp. Okay. Back to slut in truck. Before we get back to the slut in truck, which was an improvised line, by the way. Really? And it is my favorite line of the film. Slut in truck. That's amazing. I didn't know that. We have a trivia question. Well, of course. Okay. This is the coming out category. Oh, God. This might be where I falter because I was definitely not out in 2006. I believe that Beth is a bicon. Maybe she just hasn't come out yet. Let's see if you can recall this famous coming out. In 2006, which NSYNC member came out as gay? Lance Bass. Lizzie. Apparently I was paying attention. I think 2006 is when it came alive. Really fell into myself. I joined musical theater. She acquired hyperfixations in the year of 2006, <laughs> folks. Okay. I discovered for sure I discovered fan fiction that year, probably. Yes. On Zanga? On Tumblr. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I, I had both. I juggled and MySpace. It was basically a full-time job. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Editor-in-chief <laughs> <laughs> of Runway Magazine. <laughs> okay. So, slut in truck. An incredible line. Beth? has to jump into the back seat. Kate's in the front seat. John enters the car, and they drive together back to Kate's house, and he puts on Elvis Costello. Jeez. No one actually likes Elvis no Costello. No one actually likes Elvis Costello. He has some good numbers, but to say, like, she loves all old-school Costello, it's like nobody's dad even likes all of old-school Costello. Be fucking for real. I think the Smiths would have been a better choice, but it was probably more expensive. That's yeah. my only guess. I would say the same. Uh, so John walks Kate to her door, but Beth is stuck in the car, so they have to kiss a couple of times. And as they're kissing, the only cue to me that Kate feels something is the song that's playing. She's a mystery. She's too much for me. And I is that when they're on the porch? Myself. Yeah. Like after they get wet, they kind of get sprayed by the sprinkles to go to the porch. Uh -huh. Yeah. There is like a little moment there. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, this bitch is like. Like, anyone who shows her attention at this point could, like, start the butterflies. Mm -hmm. And he's, like, especially conventionally attractive. Mm -hmm. And top that off with the fact that he's trying really hard and, like, has this insider information of what kind of music she likes. And she's got adrenaline pumping. Yeah, exactly. And she's being watched by Beth on the boob cam. So there's this whole voyeuristic angle that's adding excitement to and it all. And the click fives just the girl is playing in the it background. It is click five. As a lesbian, this would do something for me. I am just <laughs> a human being. Yeah, exactly. It's not John. It's the situation. Mm-hmm. So John and Kate go on a real date, but they expect it to be at the right at the restaurant that he takes all his dates on, but he actually takes her on a fucking sailboat? I mean, 
work. And the girls follow on a motorboat. Oh, wait, this is parent trap vibe, right? That's where we get the beautiful, iconic boat date. Yeah, it's a good date. However, the outfit she wearing the outfit she's wearing is horrid. It's a black with white polka dot dress, and she has her hair in this like two honeycomb honeycomb look like it's a la hairspray from hairspray yeah it doesn't work for me in this moment i'm like why put her in like a period piece of hair anyway but the only reason i mentioned the scene is because they have some dialogue that like humanizes john tucker or whatever we're moving on you uh, <laughs> <Ew>, skip <laughs> so the after this date the three women heather carrie and beth all realize that kate is a little in over her head and they think that kate's in love with John Tucker, or falling under his spell, should I say. Okay, you ready for your fifth trivia question? If I get one wrong now, how embarrassing would that be? That would be really embarrassing if you got this one wrong. I'm oh, so God. sorry. Okay, this one's film. Okay. What Disney Channel film became the highest viewed original film ever released in 2006? High School Musical 2. Is that wrong? You're going to look at me and tell me that I'm wrong. She wore a crown. She came down in a bubble dug. Uh... It's the original High School Musical in 2006. Oh, Oh, we just covered that film too. How embarrassing. Just kidding. Come on. No, 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 no. But I think I miss – the context of the question was misleading because it was released in 2006 and in that year it was Mm. considered – It set the record in that year. Yes. But but, High School Musical 2 beat it. Yes. So I'm right and wrong. I'm giving it to you. Kenny Ortega was the real answer. Yes. <laughs> He's always the answer. But if I had phrased that differently, I'm 100% positive you would have gotten that. So I'm giving that to you. All right. Hey, I'm five for five. <laughs> I mentioned this question in particular because Carrie films John Tucker in the locker room. Yes. And we get that high school musical moment. Where he says, like, she's just another girl. Yeah, they do it in Greece. I actually took a note on this. They do it in Greece similarly where he kind of has – it doesn't happen with technology because it's the 60s. He, like, in her face tells Sandy, like, oh, yeah, uh, I'm not really into Sandy. And so it happens face-to-face. But I would still say that moment still holds that same, like, beat in mm-hmm. the story. Mm-hmm. It also happens in Treasure Planet. <laughs> we need to come – can we come up with a name for this narrative trope? Yeah, like um, betrayal. I don't know if that makes like sense. Dra- like you know, there's comedy of errors. It's like yeah, it's like drama of of like betrayal, a, a misleading, an intentional misleading that backfires. Yeah, I don't know. It's like hard to describe, but you know it when you see it. Yeah, no, it's like character A is accidentally saying something against character B. He's filmed on some sort of 2000s technology (laughs) device, and it's shown to character B, and character B is like, fuck character A. I'm even more mad and going to do the thing I set out to do, and I'm not going to waver. Yeah, exactly. It's classic. It harkens back to the inciting incident in most cases. And that's how we know we're getting from act two into act three. Okay, so in this high school musical moment, John Tucker says, let's just say at tonight's away game, I'll be scoring more than baskets. Uncork and pork. But at first he's seen like the guys are prodding him and he's like, leave it alone, guys. Whatever. I have feelings for her. And, you know, if the men around John Tucker weren't so terrible, I think he would be a better person. Yeah, he has the smarts to navigate some pretty intense uh, some pretty intense events that should knock down his self-confidence a bit, like the whole herpes incident. Mm-hmm. But he has the wherewithal to himself, like, take control of that situation, which 
is pretty admirable, but also, like, indicates his privilege as a white man. So, you're right. I think without all these guys, like, I think later on in college, he will be a good guy. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. Like, he does learn something at the end of the film. He does learn. And every time that he is getting close to, like, feeling a real emotion, he is course corrected by, like, toxic masculinity and as like yeah. a man who just like naturally more masculine and in the sense that society values like he's athletic and he's tall and he like loves women you know as a person who is naturally that way every time he tries to experience a deep emotion other men are like yeah man fucker you know like or says something like really gross like in this case where he's like oh i really like her and they're like oh so you haven't you haven't spanked it yet or something yeah, right which Peer pressure is despicable. You should always rise above it. I'm just saying, in high school, <laughs> it's probably hard. Like, you know, we've Next all Next to mistakes. impossible. I mean, maybe in today's day and age when we have more access to, like, what the right answer is as a young person. But back in the day, like, we were watching High School Musical to figure out how to act. And that was, like, the best case scenario for us. Otherwise, we were at church. And let me tell you, that's not giving you any clue onto what the best way to go is in terms yeah. of, like female male dynamics and you guys know as well as lizzie knows i am not the person to try to give the male characters all the credit in the world to be a bad person but i'm saying he's kind of got a shit he's kind of in a shit situation here he changes at the end and that's more than we can ask for yes um so at the away game carrie shows kate the high school musical locker room footage kate is back in game mode and gets into lingerie this lingerie reveal, abs. I'm just a person, like I'm just a human being. And then it's the it's the song, "Pretty Little Girls Kiss the Boys and Make Them Cry." Mm-hmm. This felt like porn to me. This whole movie felt like I was watching. <laughs> you had your hand porn. hovering over the pause and the mute button. The back button was like on like Nickelodeon. <laughs> it was on like 700 Club or whatever the fuck was on ABC Family at night. That, like, hits me so fucking hard because I used to set my remote up to be, like, back to, like, Spongebob Squarepants. <laughs> me and you, bitch. Me and you. Um, yeah, so this felt like porn when she came out in this lingerie, uh, and she looks great. I, Carrie, at one point, says something a little homo. She says, you should totally wear underwear to school. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, they've all got a little homo in them. I mean, I don't blame them. She looks amazing. They video chat, hilarious, and Kate instructs John to come to her room by scaling the balcony because of the chaperones that are watching them. And so he scales the balcony into a room in a lawn, like a silk thong that she has given him. And it's the coach's bedroom. And he is pulled into the hallway by the coach by his ear and embarrassed in front of everyone. They're taking pictures on their like flip phones. You know, I felt bad for him for like a second. Then again, in the next scene, he does his John Tucker spin, shows up at basketball practice in a thong, and tells the guys, like, you don't wear thongs. They're fucking silky. They got a lot of swing. What's not to love? And then pretty soon, everyone's wearing thongs. Beckham does it all the time. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) And it's also the, like, boob cutting scene in Mean Girls, you know, where she cuts the tits off of Regina George's shirt. So uh, Regina George just wears her tits out. Her nipples, yeah. And everyone starts doing it. Yes. Another trope done super well. And, like, you can't blame him. If the man wants for women's underwear, I'm like, if he can rock that, he's in, he's good. 
you have to understand there is not a single confident person in any high school ever. We are all yeah. susceptible to peer pressure. We're just doing whatever they're doing on MTV. Yeah. We're just trying to <laughs> not be looked at. So if someone's like, yeah, Beckham does it all the time. He wears thongs and he backflips and shit. I'd be like, apparently that's what we're doing now. We're doing that now. And if the cool <laughs> guy does it, I'm definitely doing it. Yeah. I that mean, that was not me in high school, to be very frank. But no. um, other people, I'm sure, <laughs> were, doing, were looking to the popular kids for advice. Uh, so John and Kate plus eight? Plus eight. That's their name. John and Kate plus eight. Was that in 2006 as well? That feels like it could have been. Google it, bitch. It was in 2007. John and Kate plus eight had not come out yet. Phew. <sighs> oh, I feel much better now. Kate and John... Discuss what he said in the locker room. And uh, John says, that's locker room talk. It's not real. Okay. Boys being boys. Okay, Trump. Like, shut the fuck up. Don't talk about women that way. I understand you're peer pressured, but just own that shit. Say, like, I was in BLS because I love you and men are toxic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to his credit, I guess he's like, you know what? Fine. I'll fucking show you. I'm wit. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, good move. The best move he can make in that moment. And he looks like he means it. As my therapist would say, we all do the best that we can with the tools <laughs> that we have. <laughs> Shut <laughs> the fuck up. My therapist doesn't say that. Okay. <laughs> she knows better. So, yeah, he gives her his watch and is like, I'm whipped. And in the war room, the girls think it's time to crush John. Finally, they have his heart in their hands. That is nuts. But Kate is less than enthused about this plan, and all the girls start fighting over him again, which mm-hmm. is the most unrealistic part of this movie to me. Like, Heather Ashanti's character is like, oh, he's not in love with you. He he should have me. I'm the yeah. best girl. And then they default to, like, the first act. I agree. Feelings. It wouldn't be like that. It would not switch that quickly. I do not believe that for None a second. of them were actually trying to get him back. Like, that's not the goal here. But it's a movie from 2006. There has to be a fatal flaw or else we wouldn't be here talking about they it. They have to move the story along to a certain ending. They've got 10 minutes left. They're like, let's wrap it up. Let's cause some... More conflict. Conflict, exactly. So at John Tucker's birthday party, Carrie plays the takedown video where Kate is like... John Tucker, there's one guy for me, and you're not him. (laughs) The meanest thing she's ever said in her life. That is like an observation at best. That's not an (laughs) insult or a roast or takedown. But Kate gets on stage, and she tells this truth about her experience, and she says, this is real. This is Kate. She takes her homecoming crown, splits it into five pieces, and distributes them among the crowd. She gets flashed by a drink immediately, and they go, hey, Kate, you're ruining the party. (laughs) And this is when John cops to his bullshit. He says, yeah, I'm an asshole. I play women. I lie to them. It's unacceptable. And someone goes, it's fine if you're, like, banging all these chicks. Some honeys all love you, Johnny B. Yeah, every time he's like, no, it's bad. They're like, what's bad about fucking hot chicks? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, again, it points to, like, the system of, like, toxic masculinity in high school. And, so, you know, he's trying to do his best, to his credit. Mm-hmm. So they all start a food fight. This uh, The ending was rewritten several times because, mm. you know, it wasn't supposed to end this way, but the director was like, 
I want to see closure mm-hmm. with all of these characters. I don't want to leave the film with all of them hating each other. No, yeah, for sure. So that's why the last like two minutes where everything gets wrapped up super quick kind of feels unnatural. Like they have a food fight where they're all laughing and playing. Right, yeah. And then the next scene, you know, Kate and John call a truce and then Kate makes up with Penn Badgley. Mm-hmm. And all the girls are like, haha, we're best friends forever. Yeah. Yeah. And then the movie is over. (laughs) No. And then, not quite, fucking John Tucker comes out as polyamorous. And that is the answer to his problems is open communication. I said, John is now a poly icon. That is in my notes. Honestly, work. Like, if we're going to take away anything from this film, if you want two girlfriends, just let them know that there are two girlfriends. If you want five girlfriends, let them know there's five girlfriends. To be Polly in high school, emotional intelligence, man. This guy kind of is, like, on the next level. Like, they couldn't be playing this level of 3D twister chess with, like, his best friend Mm -hmm. in the high school. You know what I mean? All the other guys in this film are dumb. Even the Penn Badgley character is, like, kind of silly and stupid and doesn't really do a lot. No, I've cut out so many of my notes because of that character because I have such a like distaste for him he like basically tells Kate you're not like other girls and then when Kate is presumed to be in a relationship with John was like wow I expected more from you I thought I called you were. dibs on you exactly I thought you were my manic pixie dream girl my feet of my dreams but you want to be a cheerleader what, you don't like me fuck you you're not my friend anymore it was just like gross it did not age well. Sorry, Penn Badgley. I, I know you, you know, didn't I feel like that character started different than he ended. You know, like they actually started with actual chemistry and he saw her when no one else did with the cheap trick line in the library. But mm-hmm. by the end, he was acting weird. He was being jealous. He was like also blowing her off. I mean, granted, I guess it's his brother, but like, you no, know what I mean? It's reading exactly as Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character yes. in 10 Things I Hate About You. Yes. Like, yes. I decided yes. you were special before you even knew it. And now you're dating a popular guy instead of me? Fuck you. You yeah. did that to hurt me even though you don't see me as a love interest. Like, I hate you now. Mm-hmm. Like, it just felt really punishy, really guilty, really weird. I do not fuck with it. I mean, I guess in the end, they're not, like, guaranteed to be together. They're just, like, guaranteed to hang out in chemistry class now. So, you know, I mean, we can infer for sure that, like, they would date at some point. But, like, literally on paper and what they say in the dialogue is, like, oh, we're cool again. We can be friends. Well, so uh, Betty Thomas, the director was saying it was originally written that they would have a kiss at the end but she she said no but she said no yes she said it felt like too much everyone was kissing everyone it didn't feel like realistic and so she just had their friendship put back into a good place you know what happens after this what okay all four of the girls have a sleepover they have such the best nights friday night the blonde smart one has to go home to study ashanti has cheer practice And the vegan girl, like, stays over a little bit later the next morning, hangs out with Brittany Snow and her mom, and ends up staying all day and the next night on her own. And then they kiss in bed, and they finally get to go through their whole processing of the kiss they had in the Jeep, and then they get together and they fall in love. So... They go to a hotel room, but there's only one room available. Only one bed. That's my favorite trope. We're just writing fan fiction at this point. No, I support that narrative. I want to see that happen. When you write that, please give me the fanfiction.net URL. One last thing I'll say about the film. It's ended, but John Tucker is credited first. What the fuck? 
Jesse Metcalf is before Britney Snow. She's quite literally the protagonist. It's from her perspective. Yeah, that's a little fucked up, especially because Britney Snow was like actually a star at this time, right? I mean... No, she she was the least famous of these people. Jesse Metcalf, I think, was famous at this point. Sophia Bush was in One Tree Hill. Oh, Ariel right. Cabell, I think, was like in Friday Night Lights or something, and Ashanti's Ashanti. So like Britney Snow was actually like, one of the least famous, but she's quite literally the protagonist. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't matter on paper, but... My last qualm with the film. But that brings me to our final trivia question. Lizzie, you are five for five at this point. This is by far the most challenging trivia question in 2006. Please don't ask me who was the fucking president in 2006. Because I... George Bush. (laughs) (laughs) Sophia Bush's dad? Yes, it's Sophia Bush. Um, This has to do with the Oscars. Oh, shit. So we oh, have just okay. recorded an Oscars episode. Please go and, and listen to what we have to say about the current year's Oscars. But this is 2006 Oscars. Are you ready? Arnar. At the 78th Oscars, this contentious film won Best Picture. This win was highly disputed by critics. And in 2015, a Hollywood Reporter poll of hundreds of Academy members showed that Were they voting in 2015, the 2005 Best Picture trophy would have gone to the year's ostensibly more progressive choice, Brokeback Brokeback Mountain. Mountain Crash. (gasps) Lizzie. Bring me to trivia night, bitch. I'm going to win us a pint. This is the first trivia on subtextual podcast where someone has got them all correct. (laughs) Lizzie is still living in 2006, you guys. (laughs) I stopped progressing in 2006. I fully formed as a human being and formed no longer after the year of 2006. Please refer to our High School Musical episode for more information. (laughs) It's insane to me that Brokeback Mountain and High School Musical came out in the same year. That does not feel the same to me. Whoa. Iconic. Kevin Federline, Britney Spears, dumps him. Mm -hmm. Jonas Brothers, year 3000. Lance Bass comes out. Oh, my God. Queer people had heart attacks in 2006. This was so much. The media was accosting Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger about their sexualities at this point. We were bombarded. Us gay youth, we were doing the best that we could. Honestly, I was in the closet. I was shielded, but I'm processing it now, and it was a really hard year. (laughs) (laughs) Good trivia questions, though. Thank you, thank you. Great job, Lizzie. I I don't know how anyone's ever going to top that. <laughs> uh, the reception for this film, it was a commercial success with a budget of $18 million. It grossed $68 million worldwide at the box office. While it maintains a low critical regard, it will last forever in our hearts. In mine heart. You ready for the scores? Yes. So how we score movies here at Subtextual, we each get to rate the film on a scale of 1 to 10 for how gay the movie is and how good the movie is. We then average those together to get a single subtextual score, which we post on Letterboxd. Please find us on Letterboxd. Yes, please. All right, Lizzie. So out of one through 10, how do you score this film overall? This is a movie I really enjoy. Can I give a half? Like a half? Yes, we've done that before. Okay. I'd like to give this movie a six and a half because there are other like coming of age high school films, Mean Girls, in this world that I would give a higher score, but I do truly enjoy watching this film. I would agree. I would give this film a six. And Lizzie, how gay do you think this movie is? I mean, it's one of those things that like off screen, 
it's probably gayer than it is on screen, but we do have a bisexual character that they basically label bisexual. But she's kind of talked down to and slut-shamed. However, it doesn't get her down. And did a lot for me sexually as a kid until this day. So I would say a good five. Stealing my fucking numbers, You were going to say five? Well, like, it's the Bend It Like Beckham thing. I'm confident that when these characters get older, Mm -hmm. they will be queer people. And they did have a gay kiss, which... right. You know, more than we got with Bend It Like Beckham. More than well, we got like Bend It Like Beckham. Sort of. The same amount that we got with like Girl Interrupted, but this one felt more sexually charged. Mm-hmm. That's true. So I'm also going to give this a five. I'm sorry. We, we just have the same brain, Lizzie and I. We were both alive in 2006. Lizzie more so than anyone, apparently. Apparently. All right, Lizzie. This film has an overall subtextual score of 5.6. Final thoughts. When are we doing Mean Girls? <gasps> oh, my God. I cannot <laughs> wait. We have to get through Oscar season. Yeah. So if you guys listen to our Oscar episode, there are at least like two two different episodes we want to cover before the Oscars comes out. But then you can expect me, Sam, to cover all the other stupid shit that you like. <laughs> <laughs> we also have High School Musical 2 to do. So yes. there's some good 2000 shit up on the menu coming. But I guess we have to do some like real cinematic films first. You could also jump on Patreon and badger me until I just do it anyways. You could get like a bonus episode or something. Absolutely. Yeah, at, most, at our two lower levels, you get to vote and pick our fan service bonus episodes that are only available to patrons. But at the highest level, you get to vote and pick our main feed episode once a month and you can you can force this shit to come sooner yeah if you want 2006 to be now you have the right to do it i want to do another 2006 movie to do more trivia with you because i'm starting to feel like you're a savant of some sort is this slumdog (laughs) millionaire okay well listener thank you so much for joining us on this episode i'm spraying britney spears perfume in the air year 3000 is playing somewhere in the background we're getting on three hollister collared shirts on Mm -hmm. top of each other and we'll see you next time see ya bye Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. See you next week.